you are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is Tony and welcome to another episode of the Pharmacy IT and Me podcast. On today's episode, we have a very special guest. We're going a little bit outside of the pharmacy realm and talking to Dr. Matthew Sakamoto. And he is a champion of digital health and you know other things that we'll get into. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you doing? Thanks so much. No, looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. You know, just for the listeners to learn a little bit more about you. I met you through, you know, online means a few years ago when we were all on that other social media platform of like speaking through audio and stuff like that. So I kind of already know what you do, but you know, for our listeners, can you kind of give a little brief overview about your journey into your career? For sure. I do a little bit of everything. So currently um, I do clinical informatics at a large integrated health system in San Francisco in Northern California, um, as well as uh, I work as a virtualist. So I'm a primary care physician, um, internal medicine trained by clinical training, and then I do 80% tel- telehealth work and 20% of the time uh, in person providing hybrid primary care delivery. In addition to that, um, I also really like the digital health world and watching innovators work and do their thing. So I also have a uh, consulting side gig where working with a lot of tech-enabled care delivery services on how to kind of best position their services in this new ever-changing digital health landscape. Awesome. You know, like it's always an interesting story for me to hear what people say about how they got into it. And of course, you studied medicine, you became a doctor. What was it that kind of got you into the digital health space? I think I always liked clinical medicine. Helping patients uh, definitely is what got me um, interested in medical school. But during medical school, I realized that all of my favorite doctors that I worked with always had something else. So they had some sort of side gig going on, whether it was doing expert witness work, uh, being a medical director of a nursing home, things like that. So I was like, the happiest ones kind of did patient care, but also did things adjacent to patient care. So I always knew I wanted to have some kind of split job. Wasn't sure what that was going to be. And then I fell into the clinical informatics world, really working with our population health department, kind of saying, why are we hand abstracting all of these clinical uh, quality metrics out of the computer, like, shouldn't they be able to just do that automatically for us? And they said, you should probably talk to the clinical informatics people. So that was sort of my first foray into that during medical school. And probably the other branch point, that's how I got into the clinical informatics side of things. The other branch point, um, how I kind of did big health system stuff versus some of the startup-y things was uh, I graduated from the clinical informatics fellowship at UCSF in July 2020. As I tell many people, word of career advice, don't graduate in the middle of a pandemic. So a lot of the big health systems that I would have usually worked for just weren't hiring. I think they were all just kind of just focusing very much on the pandemic response. That being said, many, many startups, particularly telehealth startups at that time were hiring. So my first job out of fellowship was uh, with a a small hybrid tech-enabled primary care group uh, in San Francisco. Since then, kind of worked at some of the other places, Teladoc, Plush Care. But yeah, really got the startup bug, uh, kind of (laughs) largely thanks in part to the pandemic. Um, but since doing that, I did, it's a it's a world and a culture that I really like uh, learning from and being a part of. Yeah, it's it's really cool to kind of hear like you know um, you started off in medicine, you went into like that that space. But but also I wanted to ask like you got training for it, right? Like you went through that fellowship, and what kind of things did they like? Just just a general overview. You don't have to go into super detail, but like what kind of like things that they they teach or guide you while you were doing your clinical informatics uh, fellowship? Yeah, no, great question. And actually, I'll, I'll 
take a question back to you too. I'd actually be interested to hear about how pharmacists in particular kind of do their pharmacy informatics, but for the clinical informatics as a, from, from the physician standpoint, it's a two-year fellowship. Um, I think they're up to about 50 programs across the U.S. now. So the three main pillars that we tend to focus on are research operations and innovation. So research tends to be your traditional things like pulling data, large data sets, um, you know, real world data and pulling large amounts of patient data from the EHR. How do you make insights um, from that? The operations piece is probably where we focused on the most. So it's like, how do you just make things work on a day-to-day basis? So if there are order sets or if there are workflow issues, how do you take your knowledge of how medicine works, how doctors and other clinicians think and operate in a hospital setting or in an outpatient setting? What are those workflow pieces? And then how do you get that to match up with the technology? It tends to be the EHR, but also other um, technology pieces in, in the healthcare setting. How do you make those work together harmoniously and not cause a lot of friction? So that's a lot of parts of the operational informatics piece. And then innovation is the last part. So how do you um, ch- keep up with changing times? How do you interface, uh, again, particularly large um, health systems with new technology that, that, that that's coming out? And to answer your question for pharmacy informatics training, uh, it pretty much varies. I mean, there's the traditional route for pharmacy residency. So usually they do like a PGY-1 general residency, and then PGY-2 would be specialized in informatics. Uh, Some programs are a combined PGY-1 and 2. And then because it's still relatively a new space, there's still a lot of informatics pharmacists that didn't get that formal training. And we kind of got into the role by, you know, by just volunteering for the work that gets involved in projects, right? So so for me, I didn't go through a pharmacy residency. I kind of got directly into the the space of... um, building out a new EHR to switch to. So uh, the last place I worked at, we used to be on Meditech. And when I started working there, I was on a team to help build the new Cerner system. So that was basically my crash course. It was getting thrown in, working on it, and going through and seeing that go live. Nowadays, many things are more structured. But um, you know, back then, it was still kind of all over the place. And people were kind of just learning as you go and just basically learning what the needs are for the organization and trying to fill. So Really cool. Yeah, that that's similar to kind of how it's evolved on on the uh, physician side of stuff too, where many people got you know grandfathered in, or they call it the practice pathway. Same thing. Oftentimes, those were the clinicians and physicians that were involved at the time of a EHR go live or an EHR cutover. So, uh, s- similar uh, convergent evolution, <laughs> definitely of the programs. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like in your fellowship, um, so it was it like a health system? You said it was UCSF, right? UCSF Health, um, yeah, okay. uh, was was where our um, or my fellowship was based out of. So, um, how was your interaction and interplay with other departments when you were working together on, let's say, you know, an order set that's coming up or some some? Uh, well, let's just say that, like an order set, then. Yeah, for sure. I I think that piece it's multidisciplinary by design, right? So, like, the perspective that I would bring, or you know, the particularly physician informaticist would bring is. What does a doctor look look at when they're putting in the order? But so many other pieces touch this, right? What does the nursing portion of that order set look like? And how, how does that get fulfilled from the pharmacy side, right? What does the pharmacy side look like? How do you have the right choice architecture, right? Like you don't want to put too many meds, but you don't want to restrict it too much. How do you kind of Goldilocks in the <laughs> just the right amount of uh, options? What order do you put them in? How do you group them? So all of those things kind of come into play and you have to it's very, and I like that. It's a team sport. It's it's, it's multidisciplinary, um, and you're getting hospitalist input. You're getting outpatient doctor input, um, inpatient outpatient pharmacy input, nursing input. Those are the biggest ones, probably. But yeah, definitely team sport. 
I really like how you used Goldilocks as a verb. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> um, that's, I'm, I'm totally going to use that now. <laughs> you know, when you're working, um, you're doing your fellowship too. Like, uh, did you get to be involved with the pharmacy team? I'm asking pharmacy because, you know, I'm a pharmacist. Totally. Yeah. Do you, do you get to get involved with the pharmacy informatics team a lot? And what kind of like interactions did you have with them? Not as much as I would have liked to. So I think a lot of it, uh, so we were Epic based at, at, at UCSF. So Willow is the Epic um, pharmacy module. So not quite as much. I'd say a lot of things where there's titration of medication in an inpatient setting was probably where we had the most overlap. So that, that tends to be the anticoagulants and the insulin. So getting Willow involvement there, what meds are on formulary, what things are titratable, not titratable. Um, and again, it goes to the whole thing where the doctor puts in the order, titrate insulin to goal, whatever that goal is, but the nurse has their protocols. Um, what, again, what insulin gets sent up? How, how should that be portrayed in the order set? Um, again, it was probably the, the area where I, I had the most overlap with um, the, the pharmacy informatics team. I see, I see. So, you know, um, just moving on after your fellowship, you started working as a, a virtual provider. How did going through that fellowship help prepare you to become a virtual provider? Like, you know, providing virtual care, that's kind of like the norm now, almost kind of like the norm. But like at that point after your fellowship, did it uh, get you to become a virtual provider quicker because you kind of understood those concepts or, you know, how did that work? Yeah, no, great question. So I'll, I'll take that in two parts. One is just like the personal learning. So I always liked the idea of providing care beyond the clinic walls, right? So um, a lot a lot of the things I used to do was more in the population health realm. How do you outreach for patients and make sure that they come in to get their cancer screens or other things like that? But then kind of with telehealth, I realized like, oh, you can actually just provide care for patients in the home. So there's there was a personal learning that I kind of did. And then I, I had some telehealth projects that I had rolled up just before the pandemic started. Um, but getting those reps in in the same way that we learn by seeing patients. I kind of just <laughs> continue to uh, refine those skills and those outreach skills just by getting our reps, um, my, my repetitions in, um, evaluating off, often patients with COVID, so some other um, acute concerns, but most, mo mostly COVID concerned patients. Um, so that's kind of, that was like the personal learning growth on how do I get my skills up as a clinician. The one other piece, particularly from the informatics training that I got was ability to look at workflows, implement workflows, and understanding as a specific example. So we, we virtualized our, our urgent care clinic. So I would be at home, um, the, the nurse would be at home and the MA would be at home all in different places. There's a lot of what I call kind of like hallway discussion that you can have when you're co-located in the clinic that you now have to recreate when I'm in my apartment, the nurse is in her apartment and then and the MA is in his apartment. So how do you create those back channels for communication? Things that I used to just be able to turn to my left shoulder and say like, hey, can you please put in this order? Oh, I have to like type it through <laughs> in some place now, right? And often all in while I'm seeing patients. So understanding workflows, how to diagram those workflows, and then how you can replace parts of communication or parts of, communi or, or parts of workflows with technology, that's a, a large part where um, the informatics training really helped kick in. Um, so virtualizing workflows, I guess let's put it that way, um, and using technology to enhance that was a big piece that had I just been a frontline clinician, probably wouldn't have had as good of a grounding or understanding of. I see. Yeah, no, that's cool because um, I think like uh, it was a big challenge for a lot of physicians that didn't have the telehealth um, experience and, you know, COVID just accelerated everything. And, you know, that kind of leads into the next question, you know, during COVID, you did mention there were a lot of different startups. So um, how did that kind of like come out for you in terms of like, I, I know that you said you started becoming like an advisor kind of to like help tech startups. How did that come about? And uh, what, what were the things that you were doing with that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think a lot of it was clubhouse. To be honest, it's one of those things where there's 
there was a need. There, there was a, a very strong need that was identified, right? How do you provide care to all these patients that are, you know, now at home? And then can, can you do it in a virtual way? Watching people push those boundaries of, you know, what's doable from a distance. So I think a lot of different companies popped up through Clubhouse, through Twitter, kind of actually a lot, a lot of social media stuff. Like I mentioned, like I have a certain way of looking at things. That's kind of like virtualizing these workflows and just like seeing where technology could be helpful um, while understanding the clinical context. I think that combination um, of clinical informatics, I was tweeting things, talking about things on Clubhouse. So that caught the eye of a lot of different startups. So that led to some, some people doing some outreach to me. You know, some of them, I just kind of did some one-off um, chats with. Other ones kind of have turned into a long-term advising relationship. So it's, 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 it's been all over the place, but it's been, I'd say social media of all of its various forms, be it, you know, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, or Twitter has kind of been a source of sharing. Cause I think for me, I just like kind of sharing the different things that I'm learning. Um, but then people recognizing that I might be able to provide some value to their company directly. That's pretty cool. Like, um, the online world just expanded pretty quickly during, uh, during COVID cause everyone was at home. So that, that changed a lot of things. Um, and you know, like you were talking about, like how you did some of that consulting was, was there like, like what kind of things were you consulting on? Was it mostly your, from your clinician side or were there things that you kind of didn't expect that you ended up being valuable in? Yeah, I think it ended up being, I tried to specifically pick things that did fit my intersection of clinical knowledge plus um, informatics knowledge. So, and I guess one other piece that was helpful is that during my time at UCSF um, and a couple of other places, like I've worked at large health systems and oftentimes on their digital health innovation, integration, whatever you want to call their departments, but like the, the department that's like interfacing with a lot of outside companies. So now when I'm going and talking with some of these outside companies, I have a sense of what a big health system is looking for. And a lot of times like what a startup thinks their value is versus the perceived value or the need of a large health system are often miles apart. So I can kind of start to help them find that product market fit if they're, if they're wanting to go, you know, business to business or kind of say like, hey, you might think you're doing something really cool. And, 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 it, and it is a problem that needs solving, but it's not a problem that's very high in the priority list of most big health systems. So if you position it this way, you might be able to get more traction. So it's, I look at myself as someone that jumps in and out of a lot of different worlds of so being able to be that bridge, that translator um, was probably one of the bigger roles that I was able to help fill. Yeah, you know, like, it's a great thing that you just said there about being that translator. I think there's so much value in someone that is in the clinical side, but has the understanding of the technology side to be able to like communicate between the two different sides. Kind of like relates back to like my, my role too. Like someone's asking me for a report request from, from pharmacy. I know exactly what they need because it's like pharmacy requests, right? I'm a pharmacist, I know what their, their idea of look, looking at it is. But like, let's say, you know, my role didn't exist. It would be like a back and forth of like from a pharmacy department going to IT and then IT thinks they know what they mean, but they really don't. They pull back data, give it to the pharmacy side. They're like, this is not what we asked for. And then there's like a lot of like lost time. There's a role there that needs to be filled. And I, I don't know if a lot of people have seen it as a, you know, a valuable role that needs to be filled. No, totally. I think one of the pieces that, um, th that you're articulating really is I've heard this described as kind of like a clinical informaticist or a pharmacy informaticist as sort of like an enzyme catalyst. The information, you know, like a, like a data pull request is going to go through eventually. But when you have someone that is that translator, um, I've heard it kind of said you can speak clinical or you can speak doctor, you can speak geek and go back and forth between the two. You shorten the, those back and forth times like you were saying. So I think that translator role is huge. One thing that I have noticed just sort of in my own personal career evolution 
is so speak doctor, speak geek. And then the third one, which is actually like a, the biggest superpower, particularly in a, in, a, in a big system, is to speak suit. So how can you articulate the clinical need, phrase it in such a way that the analyst can pull it or build it, depending on which way you're doing it, but then also articulate the business need. Like why, what is the ROI? What is the value of this? So going back to your question, that's like, how do you demonstrate the value? Um, and I think that's one piece that I've slowly been learning on my own side here is, yeah, it's helpful clinically, but what is the business case for this? Because um, that's when you can get resources and better support for, or faster, you can jump the line, or you, you, can, you can have it be built faster, or you can have that data pull faster. So I think uh, speaking suit is that, that third piece of that triangle that I've, I've been trying to work on on my end. I, that's a timely comment because I am trying to work on that actively right now on my end because we have, we have a need, but we need to convince the, the higher ups and to convince we have to, you know, basically develop like a business plan almost and then structure it in a way that matches the needs of the organization. So that's something that I'm actively doing too. It's something that, you know, they don't teach you in school when you're, you're going into practice and stuff. But then you kind of learn as you're getting your experience that this is how the world works. Um, and on that note, like, I mean, do you have any particular advice for people going into like your field of work? Yeah, it's, it's the network that has got me through this the most. I think like there's a lot to be learned from leaders at your institution. There's even more to be learned from friends, peers and leaders at other institutions. Um, I think there's so much work to be done um, and each organization, each person has kind of figured out a small piece of it. So I think the more that we talk, stuff like this podcast, right? Like how do you share ideas? How do you share ways of getting things done? Just the faster everything moves forward um, and improves. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And, and, you know, in your current role, like it's listed as a virtual first primary care physician and clinical informatics physician champion. So sounds like two different things kind of related, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. So let's break it down. The virtual first primary care physician. What was it that made you want to do a virtual first role? I think for me, it goes back to that ability to provide care beyond clinic walls. And it's uh, one, I, th I think just the access that you can provide patients is so much better. Number two that I really liked about it is the care model that we do. I actually describe it as a value-based, team-based virtual first primary care clinic and in that priority. So the value-based part, all of our patients are on the HMO. So I am not incentivized to try to do lots of video visits even. My goal is just to like provide good care for those patients and keep them out of the ED. So that's the value-based part. Um, team-based, so I would never want to do this alone. Uh, so I, the team is comprised of myself, a physician, a nurse practitioner, and a medical assistant. So between the three of us, we manage this patient panel in a value-based manner. Um, provide good access, prompt response, high quality clinical care. So that value-based, team-based part are the number one and two and what keeps it really fun. It just so happens that the way to provide the most value, um, it, you know, and the most cost savings is, is, is to do it virtually. So that virtual first piece actually comes third behind the team-based and value-based part. I see. So, you know, for the virtual first, like, like you said, it's still the third part, but it's like, there's still going to be challenges, right? Like there are things that you just have to assess in person. So you being a virtual first primary care physician, does that still allow you to have some in person or does that get referred out? Nope, that's in, in person. So I have a half day of clinic, one day to a half day of clinic um, every Thursday where I get to see the patients on my panel. They get to meet me and I get to see the clinical team too. So like, you know, most days we all get to work from home, but to co-locate the clinical team to be there for um, the patients when they need to see me. I would never take a virtual only position. I think I, I really like having that ability to connect in person. Um, I like being able to push the boundaries of how much we can do 
uh, while the patient's at home and while I get to work from home. But I don't imagine a world where you can deliver something 100% virtual. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like with the technology in the past, like it's just so surprising nowadays, like just from personal experience here with like I, I use a virtual telehealth thing for my daughter and, uh, you know, they send us a kit of like oximeter, ear scope with like a video thermometer, you know, all that stuff. So we can do the the vitals and some of the imaging, like not imaging, but, you know, um, doing the ear scope and sending that video in. And it's pretty cool. Like, it's pretty cool to see how far we've gone. We can still go further, but how far we've gone to um, take care of a lot of the the typical conditions through a virtual setting, you know? No, totally agree. And I think that's that's where I hope to see medicine is like push more and more out to where it's convenient for the patient. But even something that involves talking, right? So I'm just thinking kind of in the past month or so, patients with a new cancer diagnosis or, you know, patients that have like a severe dementia or memory thing, like they got to come in and being able to break that news in person makes a difference. And I think if we can kind of push more of these ear exams, eye exams out to the patient home and save that time for that one-on-one time, in-person time for these like kind of hefty conversations, I think that that strikes a balance nicely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, you know, like the other half of your role is clinical informatics physician champion. So what does that entail for you? Yeah, so that's a, that, that very much squarely falls in the operational clinical informatics role. So how do we um, make the EHR? So again, we're, 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 on, we're on Epic. So how, how do we make the Epic tool better? How do we improve adoption? Um, a lot of my role is training, training and adoption. So a lot of features have existed. And, you know, like any piece of technology, the EHR is always improving and I'll be honest, a lot of our particularly physicians haven't really adopted those tools. They kind of know what they know from 2018 or, or earlier, whenever they first learned it. And there hasn't been kind of a improvement in their efficiency or the tools that they use. So a lot of it is just saying like, hey, there's a better way to do this. Did you know that this is possible? So um, there's a lot of just tra- training, tool adoption. Um, and as big changes come through, kind of championing the, the, the changes that, that, that can happen. And then on the flip side, also being an advocate for the frontline clinicians uh, in, in our group. So if they notice that something's broken or something's not working um, in a way that is most helpful for them or their patients, I can kind of start to take some of those um, recommendations, you know, uh, back up to the to the larger system level. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of the different physician champions for informatics. Like it, it's pretty similar with the roles that I've seen at other institutions, other organizations. Even the one that I'm at, like, you know, your role is so important because you're there to push it forward and get that adoption ready. You know, like it's it's such a challenge sometimes because of like everybody's different level of comfortability with technology. So I, I don't know, like, do you have any any um, uh, strategies that you employ to try to get everybody to adopt? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, large parts of how I approach my patients like, hey, you should eat better exercise and try to lose some weight for your health. So the motivational interviewing kind of like change management things that I do with patients, I often employ with, with the, the the doctors in my group too. So it's there's a certain level of eat your veggies that it's like, hey, I know that like it's kind of harder. Like I know you don't like change, but this is better for your health and or better for getting you home quicker. So there's a lot of motivational interviewing stuff that I do as a primary care physician that directly correlate to um, physician adoption of uh, informatics tools. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. I didn't think about that. Huh. And then the other thing I wanted to ask about, I know that recently you posted about having a, a meetup with uh, clinicians and digital health enthusiasts. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Actually, there's a couple of them that are coming up. So one, I am super excited that just the conference in-person circuit has kind of reopened up again. Um, 
and many people that I get to you know, chat with um, through social media, I get to meet uh, in person. So the one coming up is going to be in San Diego. That's during um, ACP, our American College of Physicians. So it's an internal medicine society meeting. But so that's going to be on Friday, April 28th in San Diego over at the Hard Rock Hotel at 7 p.m. So if the, for those that are interested um, and are, are going to be in the area, definitely come on by. So myself and Adonis Saremi, who I used to work with at uh, Plush Care, really want to spark that um, that community. I think I live in the Bay Area and I get to hang out with people a bunch. I think um, San Diego has a lot of health tech innovators. There just isn't quite that overlap. So we're trying to catalyze that and create some energy around that. And actually, secondarily, um, another conference that I'll be at is the AMIA Clinical Informatics Conference or American Medical Informatics Association uh, Clinical Informatics Conference in Chicago and also kind of hosting a Mixer event there that will be on Monday, May 22nd at 6 p.m. over at the Matter Health headquarters. So again, same thing. The idea to get clinicians and um, operators in the startup space to kind of um, just meet each other and, and, and start to kind of catalyze new ideas. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'll put some of the details into our show notes for those who are interested in meeting up. But, you know, on, on related to that, too, if anybody had any questions about your career or wanted to reach out to you about, you know, some mentorship advice, what's the best way that they can contact you? LinkedIn and Twitter are definitely the ways to find me. And then Twitter handle is just Matt Sakamoto. And then there are, luckily I have a easy last name or a unique last name. So last time I checked, I was the only Matthew Sakamoto. <laughs> that, that's a virtual list on LinkedIn at least. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I'll be putting a link to those ways of contact, but you know, to be respectful of your time, uh, thank you so much again for being on the podcast today and, you know, just sharing about your journey and also like everything that you've, you've experienced in the informatics and digital health space. No, thanks so much. And thank you for sharing kind of your journey and having a lot of cool people on your podcast. Thanks, Tony. All right. If you like our show, please share with your friends or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Select group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there. And I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of PharmacyITME. And remember, technology is a tool. Patient care is the goal. We'll